This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. found ourselves here in uh, Romans chapter 1, a little bit of a refresher. Paul wrote the book of Romans uh, to a church at Rome that he had never actually visited before. Uh, he was excited about being there. He told us in verses uh, 12 and 13 that he's excited about being there. He wants to be a blessing to them, but he also wants to be encouraged by them at the same time. As we get down to verses uh, 15, uh, 14 and 15, we took a look at last week how he says he owes the people in Rome, the gospel. It's his obligation to share the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is with, um, with the people of Rome. Then we get down to verse number 16. It's going to take us a couple of weeks to get through this verse, so, so hang tight here. We're going to be here again next week as well. Romans chapter 16, uh, so, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, so powerful, this verse. We're going to back up to verse 13, just for the sake of context. Uh, really, where we're going to be spending our time is in verse number 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. We took a look at this last week, how he says, I'm obligated to them to tell them about Jesus. And so he says, verse 15, So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I've entitled today's message, Can the Gospel Be Bad News? And you might look on the surface of that and you said, absolutely not, can't be bad news at all. Even the word gospel literally means good news, good message, good tiding. The Greek word uh, that we get our word gospel from is the Greek word euangelion, where we get the word evangelize from. So just by very definition, the word gospel literally means good news. So could it be possibly be bad news? When I ask people about sharing their faith or why they don't share their faith, almost the exact same answer I get from people, why don't you share your faith with other people? What do you think the answer is? Somebody help me. Fear. I'm scared. Uh, I'm nervous that people will have a negative reaction to it. I'm scared of what people might think of me. I'm scared that maybe I'll mess things up somewhere and, and I, I can't appropriately articulate the message and I'm just scared. But why would somebody be scared of telling good news? I mean, good news is good, right? What, what would cause that to us to be fearful? Uh, my wife and I, uh, when we first got married, we were watching TV and uh, they said something, something, Publishers Clearinghouse. And my wife told me a story about how when, when she was a kid, for those of you that don't, don't know anything about Publishers Clearinghouse, okay? You're, you're, you're not as old as I am. Uh, you'd get a letter in the mail, and it looked like an official document written specifically to you with your name on it. That was before we knew a lot about form letters and how they get processed and stuff like that. But it would say something like this. You, Anthony King, have been selected as a finalist for the Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes. Ed McMahon will be in your neighborhood next weekend to award a check for $100,000 to someone in your neighborhood and you have been selected as a finalist. Be prepared. 
Right? And so, and that's kind of the idea of it. It's like, whoa. And you, if you flip on the TV, then you see these commercials uh, where Ed McMahon pulls up in somebody's driveway. Now, this was reality TV before there was reality TV, right? Like, Ed McMahon shows up in your, your driveway. They've got a camera crew. They've got flowers. They've got a big, huge check with your name across it. $100,000 is going to be presented to you. And it was a big, huge deal. So my wife got a letter saying, be ready next weekend. And so, like, Saturday comes, she, like, gets up and irons her clothes and does her hair and does her makeup, and she's waiting by the front door for Ed McMahon to show up, and I was like, you really thought he was going to come? She was like, I totally thought he was going to come, you know? And so she said, I was waiting, and she said, I was waiting, and somebody's like, oh, do you want to go to the store? I can't. I, I might miss them. They might come, and I don't want to miss my check, and uh, so she waited, waited, and got a little bit dark outside, and she realized, I don't think Ed McMahon's coming, and come to find out she didn't win, and she thought, well, who was it in my neighborhood that won? You know, like, and I realized because I lived in a town of 4,000 people in Western Kentucky, Ed McMahon is not coming to some redneck town in Kentucky to present a check for $100,000. Like, this is all a setup here. But for her, she really believed it. But here's the thing, like, that's good news. Somebody's coming to your neighborhood. You've been selected as a finalist. You could win $100,000. That's good news. And here's the thing. If you ever saw Ed McMahon deliver the check, nobody ever slammed the door in Ed's face, ever. Why? Because good news, you got money on the way, Right? But think about it this way. If you and I have good news, why would somebody reject it? If you and I have a good message or good story, why would we be fearful of that? Paul says in in verse 16, he wasn't ashamed. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't embarrassed in any way. How is that true? Let's take a look at that this morning. When we take a look at the gospel, first of all, we need to understand that the gospel is an offensive message by itself, okay? By itself, add nothing to it, subtract nothing from it. The gospel is offensive. You've broken God's law. You stand in danger of judgment. Your sins have a penalty. That penalty is death in hell for all of eternity. That's bad news. But the good news is is Jesus died to save you from your sins and to take uh, that away from you so that you can spend eternity in heaven when you die. So, That's an offensive message because there's a lot of different moving parts in there. Primarily is this, you're wrong. And so let me just say this before we get any further in this, that the gospel is an offensive message, but you and I don't have to add additional offense to it, okay? There's a good way and a bad way to to communicate the gospel. If you want to stand out on a sidewalk in Waikiki with a big, huge sign on a stick that says, turn or burn... Get yourself a megaphone and shout at people while they walk past you. I would encourage you, there's a better way to do that, right? Don't be offensive. Don't be ugly. Don't be, don't, you know, tear people down or call people names or belittle people. The gospel is already offensive. We need to make sure that we deliver that message with a lot of grace and compassion. Now, again, you can't get past the fact that the gospel is an offensive message. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. For those who are not saved, for those that do not believe what the Bible says about the gospel, they say, that story's a little far out there. You mean to tell me that God, who created everything, became a man just like you and I. 
He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got sad. He was happy. He cried. And man somehow figured out a way to kill God. And God died, but then he became back alive again. And then he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of also God, his father. Right? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's crazy. That, that, that sounds like a fairy tale. And wait a minute. You believe in this God that became a man that died and then went back to heaven again. That, like, that's what you're hanging your hat on? Man, that's crazy talk. And you're going to come tell me that I'm wrong? You're going to come tell me that I need to change? You're going to come tell me that I need to believe what you believe? Man, I don't get that at all. Okay, that's fair, but it hasn't changed since Paul's day. Paul says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. But unto us, man, it's the power of God. The, the idea that Jesus would come and die for my sins, it's like it's all of God. Yeah, I'm going to hang my hat on that, and I'm going to hang everything else I got on it too. I had the opportunity to uh, teach our teens a few weeks ago. We're talking through uh, things, and uh, we're talking about truth and, and, and things along those lines, and I asked them the question. We're talking about faith specifically. I said, is there a possibility that what you and I believe about the Bible, about Jesus, about God, is there a possibility that we are wrong? And they always kind of looked at me. And so I said, I'm going to have everybody go around and share your, your ideas. So I started with the girls, because uh, the girls were ready. They'd thought through it, and so... First one, is there a possibility that we are wrong about the Bible, about Jesus, about God, about how to get to heaven, things like that? Is there a possibility that what we believe is wrong? She says, no. Next girl, no. Next girl, no. Next girl, absolutely not. No. No possibility that we're wrong. Get the, the, cross the, 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 the divide, the guy. First guy, is it possible we're wrong? He goes, yes. Everybody goes, oh. Then we get to the, the next guy. Well, it depends on how you look at it. If you look at it, no, 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 I don't need your explanation. Is there a possibility that you're wrong? Well, it depends on if you mean, I, no, I don't need you to quantify it. Is there a possibility that you're wrong? I don't think so. Okay. And then uh, Mr. Levi was at work, and I got to Miss Megan. I said, uh, Miss Megan, what do you think? She was like, I didn't know you were going to ask me. Like, I don't know. Like, because, again, the fact that you could be wrong, like, that's almost blasphemy, Right? To, to say that we could be wrong, and if you're so sure of yourself, is there a possibility that you could possibly be wrong? And so it got back around to me, and it's just like, oh yeah, it's a good discussion. Everybody's like, well, what's the answer? The answer is this: yeah, there's a hundred percent. There's a chance out there that we're wrong. Some of you are just like, uh, okay, <laughs> because you can't prove it. That's why it's called. Somebody help me. Faith. faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things that we can't see. Is there a possibility that we're wrong? Sure. But, here's what I told them, and I'll tell it to you this morning. Is there a possibility that we're wrong? Yes. But I'm willing to stake my life on it, that it's right. I'm willing to stake not only my life on it, but also my eternity on it, that I'm right. I'm willing to, to build my family on that foundation to say there's absolutely no way in the world whatsoever that there's anything else out there that is true. 
other than this. And I'm willing to put my stake in the ground and say, I am 100% convinced that this is the truth. Could I be wrong? Possibly. But I don't think that I am. Again, because I'm not trusting on me or how smart I am. Because I've been proven wrong time and time again. I'm not proven on what somebody told me. uh, Standing on that as my proof. I'm standing on my proof as the Word of God. The Bible is the truth. That's what I have as a foundation so the gospel is defensive. It's, it's foolishness to them that perish, Paul says. One author said it this way. Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled out of Damascus and Berea, laughed at in Athens, considered a fool in Corinth, and declared a blasphemer and lawbreaker in Jerusalem. He was stoned and left for dead in Lystra, and some pagans of Paul's day branded Christianity as atheism because it believed in only one God and as being cannibalistic because of a misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper. So Paul faced all types of opposition when it came to the gospel, but here's where he landed at the end of the day. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. So while... Despite the offensiveness of the message of the gospel, we can't afford to compromise the truth. It's, it's that big of a deal that we can't just leave out the parts that are hard. We talked about this last week. Any gospel presentation that leaves out sin is not a presentation of the gospel. And again, we need to come back to Bible words. Jesus did not die for failures. He did not die for shortcomings. He did not die for bad habits. Jesus Christ died for sin. Jesus didn't die for people who needed a little bit of a help. Jesus didn't die for people who had lost their way. Jesus didn't die for people who could use a leg up. Jesus died for sinners. That's hard. I get it but we can't compromise that to make it more palatable for people to to swallow. You you can't give them an easier pill to swallow because the gospel's hard. So can the gospel be offensive? For sure. Because the gospel says you're wrong. I don't know about you, but I don't don't like being told that I'm wrong. I have have one of my four children. I won't tell you which one it is. But they refuse to accept the fact that they could ever be wrong. And if it's ever pointed out that they are wrong, they tell you why I misunderstood how they could be wrong because they were actually really right. It's just like, you just need to say, yeah, I was wrong with that. I can't do that. I know, that's part of your problem. So again, but here's the thing. At the, at the core of it, none of us like to be told that we're wrong. None of us are willing to, on the surface, accept responsibility I mean, think about this at work. If something goes sideways in a project that you worked on, it's very rarely your fault. It's always somebody else's, right? Very few times have things blown up on a project that I've worked on that I say, hey, that was 100% a bad call on my part. I'm sorry about that. I usually say, well, I made the call that I did because of the information that I got from somebody else. I thought he was working on this, and that's why I did this and that and the other, and it can't be my fault. But the gospel says this, you are 100% responsible for being wrong. And that's hard. You're, you're here in Romans. Turn over, if you would, to Romans chapter 3 uh, in your Bibles. Romans chapter 3, verse number 11. One of the things that I read uh, in a book a few 
months ago. The gospel tells you are bad, but the gospel tells you are, that you are far worse than what you thought. I thought, man, that's so true, right? We think like, okay, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad of a sinner. Here's what Romans chapter 3, verse number 11 says. Starting verse number 10. Romans 3, 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Whoa. Okay, if you put it that way, it sounds pretty bad. I'm not done yet. Verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their tongue, uh, under their lips. Well, that's bad. Yeah, it's not done yet. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Okay, that's bad. It's not done yet. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Well, that's bad. It's not done. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So Hugh and I, and it goes in verse number 19, now we know this, things that whatsoever the law saith, it saith in them that are under the law. In other words, hey, it's telling you how, what the, God's rules are so you realize how badly you've broken them. Verse number 19 says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. I love the, the, the frankness that Paul speaks with in verse number 19, that all their mouths might be stopped. In other words, if you've got an excuse for your sin, you just need to shut up. Shut your mouth. There's no excuse that you could possibly make that would make your sin okay before God. Because whatever shred that you thought that you had in a, you of righteousness, the Bible completely obliterates that and says that there's none righteous no not one that open up your mouth your mouth is an open sepulcher rotting flesh and bones come out of your mouth every time you open it so it goes on to show you how bad off you are well let me just tell you that's an offensive statement in our society today uh, this is offensive to a culture who's adopted subjective truth well that's what you believe but that's not what I believe. And while that might be true for you, that's not necessarily true for me. And so we get this idea that there are multiple versions of the truth out there. That two plus two doesn't always equal four. And if, if some child says that two plus two equals six, we need to pat him on his head and tell him that's okay for you because that's your truth. What? Again, we live in a society today where we have kids in sports leagues where we don't want to tell them, you lost today. You didn't just lose, you got obliterated by the other team. My son Vanderlei, when he, he played soccer, we made a big mistake with him in soccer. He was uh, five years old when he started soccer in Southern California. And you got these Hispanic kids that have been like kicking balls since they were nine months old. Bad idea to put a big white kid uh, in a soccer league in Southern California. Bad idea. At five years old, no less. But he went out there and he played his guts out. And at the end of the game, you know, they said, everybody's a winner. You know, they all stood out there and they all put their hands up together, holding hands. And both teams won today. And we got in the car and he goes, Dad, isn't that crazy how both teams can win? It's like, yeah, you didn't win. You got crushed today. <laughs> what do you mean they didn't keep score? I kept score and you guys got obliterated, you know? 
<laughs> you know why? Because you don't always win in life. You're not always right. There's times where you are wrong, you have failed, you weren't good enough, you didn't get enough points on the board, and you lost. But we can't do that because that hurts people's feelings. Okay, sometimes people need to hear hard stuff. I'm going to go so far as to say this, and this might sound really crass or harsh, but I'm going to say this. Sometimes you need to have your heart broken so that you can seek out the one who can actually heal it. Hmm. Again, hard pills to swallow in our society today. And again, truth is no longer objective, it's subjective. It's whatever you want it to be. Well, I'm glad that you found something that's true for you, but that's not necessarily true for me. Well, it's not a matter of whether it's true for me or true for you. It's a matter of what does God say is true. Because really, at the end of the day, I always tell people this. It doesn't matter what you think or what I think. It matters what does God's word say. And that's why, again, here, if you come to Who We Call for any length of time, you will never hear from this pulpit, I was reading this passage, and here's what this passage means to me. It might mean something different to you, but here's what it means to me. Man, I don't give a rip what it means to you. What did God mean when he said it? Tell me that. I don't need your opinion or your thoughts on the Bible. I need to know what does the Word of God say. The Word of God says you're wrong. This is the opposite of a culture that encourages speaking your own truth. Again, this has become something that's been really popular in the last several years. I just want to give him the space to speak his own truth. You got your space to speak your experience? I'm for that. I can't deny your experience. You even got space to speak your feelings. I'm okay with that. I want to hear how you feel. You got space to speak your ideas. But please let me help you understand. No one, myself included, owns truth. Truth belongs to God. And so you can't speak your own truth. I remember several years ago hearing on the news, oh, such and such politician has a, uh, a differing view of that and has alternative facts. <laughs> what? What is an alternative fact? Either something is a fact or it's not, right? If it's not a fact, it's a lie. Come on. But we live in a society where people lap that up. Oh, that's your experience, so that must be your truth. And if your truth differs from my truth, that's okay because we can all have our own version of the truth. And then what happens, I don't want to get ahead of myself in Romans chapter 1, what happens is people say that God is no longer God, God is no longer the source of truth, so they make themselves the source of truth. And they declare themselves wiser than God. And man, it's like, whoa, downhill spiral into oblivion from there. So again, when you say you're wrong, then the question comes, well, who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Who are you to judge whether or not I'm wrong? And doesn't your Bible say, judge not? Look at you. Hmm. Well, if you would read on, the Bible says if you would judge yourself, nobody else would have to judge you. <sighs> and I'm not judging you. I'm just observing from your behavior and communicating what God has already judged. <laughs> I saw a guy one time. 
obvious, based on, I'm not saying obviously, based on the fruit of his life did not appear to be a Christian. Based on the things that he was saying, the things that he was doing, the lifestyle that he was living. And he had a tattoo on his forearm that said, only God can judge me. Now, I also happen to know, you have a very seasoned pastor who also happens to know that that's a song by Tupac from back in the day, okay? But only God can judge me. My wife told me that, by the way. Uh, so, <laughs> it's a shame. I want to give credit where credit's due, right? <laughs> but this guy got a tattoo on his forearm and says, only God can judge me. He's like, you, you don't even understand what that means. God has already judged your sin. God has says, your life has hung in the balance and you are left wanting. You will be judged for your sin. So again, for you and I to say, hey, you're wrong, it's not us judging, it's God's word says you're wrong. I don't say you're wrong, I'm just a messenger, man. I say you've broken God's law because that's what the Bible says. Again, Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one, myself included. But again, that doesn't jive well in our society. Again, the gospel is offensive because it says you must repent. Now, the Greek word that's used in the New Testament for the word repent is the Greek word metanoia, which literally means a change of mind or to agree with God. So I have to agree with God that what I've been doing is not right because that's what God says. And repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of heart, which results in a change of direction. Repentance means to go the opposite direction. And so understand that, that Jesus is always on the opposite end of your sin. They're at two different ends of the spectrum. To pursue Jesus, you have to turn your back on your sin. And to pursue your sin, you have to turn your back on Jesus. Does that make sense? So repentance requires that you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Here's the bottom line of the gospel. You have to change. Not popular. I'll tell you, not popular at all. Well, I thought that church was a place where people could just come as they are. Why are you so intolerant? Why are you so unloving? I thought this was a place where anybody could come. Absolutely. Anyone who wants to come can come. Come as you are. But please understand the gospel says you cannot stay as you are. You got to change. I have to change. I can't come to Jesus with my sin and say, I'm going to hang on to my sin because this is comfortable for me. No, no, no. The gospel requires that I let that go so I can pursue Christ in repentance. You have to. But for me to do that, I have to say that I've been wrong first and foremost. Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verse number 17, when Jesus heard it, people were upset about Jesus for hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why did Jesus come? To seeking to save that which was lost. How does he do that? By bringing sinners to repentance. Peter, when he preached the gospel in Acts chapter 3, verse number 19, says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, be converted. That word converted means be saved or born again, that your sins may be blotted out. Again, my sins can't be blotted out when I'm bear-hugging my sin. 
when I've laid down in a bed of my own sinfulness I, that can't be blotted out. It requires repentance, and that requires that we change. But let me just tell you, the gospel idea of repentance is confusing to people who see no need for change. Wait a minute. I've got a great marriage. I've got great kids. I've got a good job. I've got money in the bank. I've got the respect of my peers. All my bills are paid. I drive a nice car. I'm going skiing in the Swiss Alps next month. Tell me again why I need this Jesus. What about me needs to change? I'm a good person. I do good things. I help other people when I can. Please explain to me why I need to repent. Repent of what? And I'm, I'm telling you this. Jesus, again, says he came to uplift the broken and heavy-hearted. And for those that are not yet broken, it's very difficult for them to be lifted up. For the rich man, Luke chapter 16, he was dining, having great meals every single night, saw no need whatsoever for Jesus. But the poor man, Lazarus, who sat at the gate begging for scraps of bread, he knew what he needed. That's why Jesus says this, it's harder for a rich man to pass, or for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because they don't see their need to change. I have what other people want. What do I need from you? What do I need from Jesus? What does he add to me? How does he enhance my life any? This is also unattractive to a culture who wants benefits without change. Oh, I'll take Jesus' stuff that he's offering, but I don't really want to change. I didn't really know that this was a thing until I began pastoring. And I found that everybody that shows up to church on a Sunday morning doesn't necessarily come because they love Jesus, want to worship Jesus, or see their need for Jesus. Get this. Sometimes people come to Jesus because they want his stuff. Did you know that? I was oblivious to that. I was green as a gourd when we first started Who We Call. I didn't know that people would come to Jesus because they broke up with their boyfriend. Like, you're going to come cry to a pastor and his wife because you broke up with your boyfriend and you want Jesus to heal that? Okay. Or you're coming to Jesus because you got a bad report from the doctor. You know, the cancer isn't responding to the treatment that the way you wanted to, and so now you're going to come to Jesus and ask Jesus for healing. Okay. I didn't know that you were coming to Jesus because you lost your job on Friday and you're not really sure what you're going to do and how you're going to pay your bills next month, so now you're coming to Jesus. But then, the same exact people, when the treatment for cancer starts working or the surgery was successful, they don't need Jesus anymore. When a girl who got dumped by her boyfriend finds another dude on Tinder, she doesn't need Jesus anymore. When the guy who lost his job found a better job, now making more money, hey, he's nowhere to be found because Jesus isn't necessary any longer. You know why? These people never really wanted repentance and a right relationship with God. They just wanted God's stuff. And God doesn't work that way. God is not just an idol giver that gives you all the things that your heart wants and desires and craves and, and asks nothing in return. He asks for repentance and righteousness and holiness in return. But so many times we don't want that. We just want God's stuff. 
It's amazing to me the people who want to come and be a part of a church family because they want friendships and relationships. They want to hang out with people uh, and they want to have people in their home and have people over, the, over their house and somebody come bring groceries by or buy, bring a meal by or watch their kids for them or something like that. But they don't really want to walk with Jesus. They just want all the peripheral benefits that comes from a faith-based community. And I use that in air quotes very loosely. They just want the stuff that comes from the church. They don't really want to be a part of the body of Christ. And again, this is typical of the society that we live in today. For me, when uh, my wife was pregnant with our son Vanderlei uh, over two decades ago, man, my wife was hungry at 11 o'clock at night and she wanted something to eat. I'd go out and get Pizza Hut or something like that. I would eat it myself too. <laughs> what I didn't count on was that when my wife gave birth, uh, she could begin to lose her weight after that. I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I got to the point where I was probably 315 pounds. I mean, uh, I carry all my weight in my stomach and my face. And I, I look like a chipmunk that had swallowed 80 acorns in their cheeks. I mean, a fat face. Like, you look at pictures of me from that period, I look like I hurt. Like, man, that looks painful. It probably was. Huge out here. Big, big guy. And, and so, I went to the doctor because, uh, you know, I was having some joint pain and stuff like that. And so, takes my blood uh, first, and, and I go in there. My blood pressure's high, my, my sugar's high, my heart rate is elevated. And so he says, oh, you should probably make some changes to, uh, you know, your lifestyle. And I was just like, doc, I don't want to hear it. And he was just like, I, you need to, to, I go, I know what you're going to say. He's like, what? I need to lose weight. I know that. I don't want to hear that. We need to do a healthy lifestyle, whether you're just walking more, or exercising, or paying attention to what you eat. Yeah, I know that. I don't want to hear it. And so here's what I did. I, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I'm, I'm amongst family today. I can admit it. I went to Walmart after that doctor's appointment. I went to the, the diet and supplement aisle, right? And I'm looking through everything. And there's like, ooh, there's the Hollywood 48-hour cleanse. I'll try that, right? Lose 10 pounds in 48 hours. How bad can that be? Please don't ever do that, you know? <laughs> if you do, you should go to Sam's Club first and buy a case of toilet paper before you go because <laughs> it was awful, and I didn't lose 10 pounds and it didn't stay off. You know what I wanted? I wanted the benefits without the actual change. I wanted to continue to eat pizza every night and cake and cookies whenever I wanted and a bowl of ice cream right before bed and still get the benefits. Let me tell you this, life doesn't work that way. You don't get to take Jesus without repentance. There has to be change. And again, that's not popular with the culture that we live in today. The gospel also says this, which is super offensive. If you refuse this, you will be punished. I don't know that there's a more troubling passage of Scripture in all of the Bible than Revelation chapter 20. It's referred to as the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Hear this. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's Revelation chapter 20, verse number 15. It's one of the worst verses in all of the Bible. So you're telling me if I turn down Jesus, I'm going to burn in hell for the rest of my life. 
That's precisely what I'm telling you. You're telling me that I can be a good person and do good things, and if I don't follow your Jesus that you're telling me about, I'm just going to burn forever. That's precisely what the Bible says. Well, where's the love in that? Where's the grace in that? That sounds really harsh. You know, this seems unloving to people who don't understand God's justice. Well, here's the thing. It's not like this. Latch onto this because for some of you, this might even be a perspective shift today for you. It's not like this. It's not like you didn't believe and so now you're going to go to hell. It's like this. You're already on your way to hell. And there's an exit ramp for you to take if you want it. It's not a matter if you don't believe this, you're going to go to hell. You're already going to hell. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. You've already broken God's law. You already stand in danger of God's judgment. God is now giving you an opportunity to have your judgment placed on someone else. And so again, if you think that it's unloving for God to send people to hell, you just don't understand the justice that God has required. If you have a sitting judge who has 15 cases that he sees in a day and all 15 he rubber stamps and dismisses without even hearing the evidence against him, you go, that's not justice. God can't turn a blind eye to your sin and just allow it to go on unpunished. God can't just open up the gates of heaven and, and sweep everybody in and pretend like there isn't sin. God has to judge sin because he's just, because he's righteous. And God has made a way through his grace. Well, it seems pretty heavy-handed that everybody that doesn't believe in this God up in the sky that you believe in, he just sends them straight to hell. It's like twisting their arm to believe in him. Again, the gospel seems coercive to those who don't understand the grace of God. God's not twisting anybody's arm. God is coming to you in love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's not forcing you in anything. You can do whatever you want. Totally up to you. Your choice. I couldn't force you to become a Christian if I wanted to. I couldn't force you to repent of your sin if I wanted to. It's a decision that you have to make and nobody can coerce you into that. It's only by God's love, only by God's grace. Again, God's punishment can seem harsh for people who have never heard. Sometimes people ask, well, what about people who have never heard the gospel? Are they still responsible for their own sin? The answer to that is yes, they are. So we haven't even gotten there in Revelation, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1 yet. God has revealed himself unto all men so that they are without excuse. And let me just tell you this, if ignorance, not knowing about the gospel, not knowing about Jesus was enough to get you to heaven, here's the new evangelism trick. Stop telling people, right? If they don't know and they just automatically get a free pass to heaven because they didn't know, stop telling everybody. And then everybody just gets to go. But ignorance isn't a ticket out. Faith and repentance are the only way. And so, again, even Christians sometimes go, well, that seems pretty unloving that God would send people who have never heard about him to hell. That seems really unloving. I'm going to flip the script on you. It's very unloving for a Christian 
to know people who are going to hell and not bother to tell them. That's unloving to me. You got a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus is going to die and go to hell and you don't care? Don't put that on God. That's 100% your responsibility. Well, no, I'm talking about places in the world where people have never heard the name of Jesus. Not unlike your workplace, but okay, let's just take for example, there's some village in the Philippines of people who are just sitting around waiting to hear about Jesus. Okay, why aren't you going to that village then? Well, I can't because I got like kids and a job and responsibility. So, so all those things are more important than the people in this hypothetical place who don't know about Jesus? Please don't place that responsibility on God because here's what God did. God sent his son to die for the sins of mankind and he's given us 2,000 years to get the work done and we're just sit back showing up for church on Sunday mornings when we feel like I'm watching Netflix all week. Please don't put the responsibility of that back on God because God's done everything that he needs to do to save mankind. That's 100% on me. It's 100% on you. And let me just tell you this. That precisely is why Hui Kala Baptist Church exists today. We didn't plan Hui Kala because we needed another church in town to gather and sing songs on Sunday. We didn't plant Hui Kala so that people that were like us in demographics could find a place where they could feel safe or accepted. No, no, no. We planted this church to reach the world with the gospel. That's why this place is here. 100%. Because there will be people in our city today that will die without Jesus and spend eternity in hell. And that bothers me to death and it should bother you as well. So it's not unloving of God, it's unloving of us, if anything. The gospel's offensive also because the gospel says that Jesus is the only way. So you're telling me that your Jesus is the only way to heaven? Yes. What about people who believe in other things? Not going to get them to heaven. But what about this person? They're super committed to their faith. You know, they pray 12 times a day. Not going to amount to a hill of beans in eternity. So you're telling me Jesus is the only way. I'm not telling you that. Jesus said it. John chapter 14, verse number 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus says he's the only way to heaven. Well, I believe that Jesus was a good man. He was a good teacher but I don't believe that he was necessarily the son of God. I don't believe he's the savior of mankind, but I believe he was a good person. Here's the fact. Jesus cannot be a good person if he lied about who he was. Josh McDowell, I love what he says. Jesus Christ is either a liar, he claimed to be something that he was not. He is a crazy man who claimed to be God in the flesh. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is who he says that he was, and he is the Lord. Those are your only three choices. Because if Jesus says that he was the only way to heaven and he wasn't, then Jesus just goes down as another famous cult leader who claimed to be the, quote, Messiah who would save people from their sins, but he wasn't really. And so you can't, there's not a cult leader in history that anybody has ever said, he was a really good man and a good teacher. No, no, they're not. They're rotten to the core. There's a, a gal who came in here She's been here on multiple occasions, and we finally had to get a trespassing order against her. She came in, and the, the first day she was here, I, I said, Hi, uh, I'm Anthony. I'm the pastor of the church. What was your name? She was like, I'm God. Oh, that's cute. What's your name? I'm God. I've written a book. You might have read it. It's called the Bible. 
That's cute. What's your name? I've already told you I'm God. Okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to ask you one last time, and then I'm going to call the cops. Okay, my name's Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca, thanks. And so she's like, but I believe that I'm here from God. Well, I believe we're all here from God. No, I'm on a special mission. Okay, let's step outside and talk about this, right? Just not there. And I think we'd say anybody who claims to be God, not all there, unless they really were. And that's the category we have to put Jesus in. If Jesus was who he says he was, then we have to believe what he said. If Jesus really was God, what did he have to say to us? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we have to say Jesus is the only way to heaven. And that seems very narrow-minded to many. Okay, I get it. One way to heaven. Oh, well, why is your way the only way to heaven? It's not my way. It's God's way. Well, yeah, you believe it. Well, I believe it, but it's not, it doesn't belong to me. It's like saying like, hey, my favorite way to, to get to the North Shore is to go through Wahiwa, right? Is it my way? The road doesn't belong to me. It's a path that I've chosen, but the road is what gets you there. Jesus is what gets you there. It's the path that I've chosen, but it's not my way to heaven. It's God's way to heaven. And, and <laughs> here's the hard part about it. It appears as arrogance to say that your way is the only way. Well, who do you think you are that you know better than everybody else? I don't. I just know what the Bible says. I know what God said. Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? I'm, I'm nobody to tell you that you're wrong, but God's word is everything to tell you that you're wrong. And again, we have to put our faith in something. Where do we put our faith in? Sometimes people say, well, well, I, I just believe more in science. <laughs> okay. Science is a moving target. Hey, look, when I was in high school, Pluto was still a planet. You know? Not even a planet anymore. You know, again, we've seen over the last two years, and this is not a political statement, this is just a, it's a fact. We've seen how science over the last two years has been kind of hit or miss. I'll, I'll leave you with, with one really easy question to ask from science. Are chicken eggs good for you or bad for you? Really easy question, right? Well, it depends on if you're talking about cholesterol, if you're talking about the egg yolk, or you're talking about the egg white, and certain people that are predisposed to certain... No, no, no. Is it good or bad? Science can't even answer that question. You Google it, you get 10 different articles and 10 different answers. Nobody can tell you if chicken eggs are good or bad. How can I put my faith in something that is constantly changing or evolving? I need something that's constant. Well, I just trust my feelings. Okay. Have your feelings ever changed before? Have they? I don't know about you. My feelings like change like hourly sometimes. Like my feelings change based on how many cups of coffee I've had today, right? <laughs> Can I trust my feelings for eternity? Well, I just really believe it in the depths of my heart. Have your beliefs ever changed? Ever. Look, when I was a kid, everybody told me that the Dallas Cowboys were America's team, and I believed it. <laughs> right? I believe we pledged, America, uh, uh, pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, that we loved Captain America, we loved America's team. And then when I get older, I realize everybody hates the Cowboys, right? Like everybody. I was lied to. I don't believe that anymore. I thought, how can this be America's team and everybody hates their guts? I don't know. 
But here's the thing. Have your beliefs ever changed or shifted? Sure, as we get older, we get wiser, we have different experiences. Our beliefs can change. But what's something that never changes? Oh, the Word of God never changes. Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I need something to drop anchor into that never changes. It's always true. It's always right. And that's the Word of God. And so... The gospel is an offensive message, but let me tell you this. The gospel is also an encouraging message. Every single one of those points that was offensive is also at the same time very encouraging for people that are seeking. The gospel says that you're wrong, okay? For those of us that are honest with ourselves, as many excuses as we try to make, we know that we're not okay. I think if every single person in this morning, in this room, were honest we would say, I'm here today because I don't have all the answers and in the depths of my soul, I'm not okay. I need something. I need help. Like, I don't have it all together. <laughs> it's, I, I, I love our church. I love, love, love our church. We have a parenting seminar, right? And I think to myself, man, if four or five families show up and can get help on parenting, that'd be good. We had like 70 people sign up who show up and like, I don't have a clue as to what I'm doing with my kids. I really need some help, you know? Great. The Bible has answers. Jesus has answers. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we say, hey, you're wrong. Yeah, I know I'm wrong. I know I've tried to fix my life on my own. I've only dug my hole deeper. I know I'm a mess. The gospel says you must repent. Yeah, as much as we dislike change, we have to admit that we can't continue in our sin. As much as I hate change, I had to look my doctor in the face and say, okay, I'm going to try to eat right and exercise. I didn't want to do it, but I knew I couldn't continue to live a lifestyle that was destroying me. i got to change. You need to repent. Tell me how. Tell me what to put my faith in. Tell me what to choose. I, I know I'm not right. I don't know how to make it right. Point the path for me. Now again, every person you meet with the gospel message, this is not going to be their heart. But look, I'm looking for people who want to know Jesus. I'm not looking to have an argument at somebody's front door of the seventh day Adventist who wants to talk to me about the Sabbath. I want to tell you about your need for Jesus and how he alone can save you from your sins. I don't want to bicker about the Old Testament and the Sabbath. I have no desire to talk with a Jehovah's Witness on whether or not Jesus Christ is really God if they just want to argue. No desire to sit down with a Bible study for Mormons who want to talk about how we're all going to have our own universe one day that we get to be our own God of and how Joseph Smith restored the gospel. I have no time to argue and bicker with people. I'm looking for people who say, hey, I need help. Can you help? I got all day for that. And there's people out there that say, I know I'm not right. I don't know how to fix this. Point the way for me. The gospel says if you refuse, you'll be punished. And look, as much as we hate accountability, we know that we can't continue to live this way forever and get away with it. Again, 
I realize I can't continue to rebel against God and everything in my life turn out okay. I know that my marriage is a wreck because I've refused wisdom. I've refused to do things God's way and everything's falling apart and crumbling around me. Of course I understand that if I don't change, there's serious repercussions. I realize that I can't sin and do terrible things my entire life and then in the afterlife because I maybe did one or two good things that I get a free ticket to heaven. I know that that's not true. Point the path for me. The gospel says that Jesus Christ is the only way. That means we must all come to a point where we recognize that we need someone greater than ourselves to save us. It's a neat little leadership quote that says, problems often cannot be solved at the same level in which they were created. You dug yourself in a hole, what makes you think you can dig yourself out? And again, for those of us that can be really gut-level honest, you say, I couldn't dig myself out of the hole that I'm in if I wanted to. I couldn't dig myself out of a hole with an excavator at this point. Like, I'm toast. I need something bigger than me to help. Good. Jesus is the answer for that. And you and I aren't looking for people in the former category. Again, I'll share with people, but I'm looking for good soil. You know why? I'm a seed sower. And I'm looking to throw some seed on some fertile ground that just needs a little bit of seed, just needs a little bit of watering. That's what I'm looking for. Hey, I'll throw some seed on some stony soil because the seed's going to do the work, not me. But man, I'm looking for people who want to know. I'm looking for people that'll grasp on to truth. That's what I'm looking for. Three final thoughts and we're done with this this morning. First of all, the gospel's bad news for people who reject it. So can the gospel be bad news? Absolutely. If you reject Jesus Christ as Savior, there's nothing in the gospel but bad news for you. You'll spend your eternity separated from God in a place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. And according to Luke chapter 16, there is no getting out, no second chances whatsoever. That's bad news and that's as bad as it gets. So can the gospel be bad news? First of all, it's offensive, but if you reject the offense of the gospel and you reject the gospel, there's nothing but bad news for you. The gospel's good news for people who receive it. I've made a mess of my life, but it's not based on how good I am or how religious I am or how, what good works I've done. I'm not forgiven based on my baptism or my, my family pedigree or who my mom or dad is or what church I attend. I'm forgiven because of the grace of God and my faith in Jesus alone. That's as good as it gets. I don't have to know anybody. I don't have to get an in from somebody. Nobody has to vouch for me. Jesus Christ has paid it all, and all to him I owe. But here's the final thought about the gospel. The gospel's only good news if it makes it there in time. We talked about Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, where people will stand before God one day. And I think about this. I'm, I'm going to give you just a, a little bit, of, give me a little bit of grace because I'm maybe reading a little bit into my interpretation of Revelation chapter 20 and I want to give you that. But here's the thing that the Bible says. The Bible says it's coming today when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's going to happen. That's a fact. That's not my interpretation. That's what the Bible says. But for some of those people on that day, that will be the first day that they recognize who Jesus is and what he's done in eternity. And where I'm asking you to give me a little bit of liberty and interpretation of it is Revelation chapter 20, when people stand before God and are cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity, for some of those people, that might be the first time they ever hear the gospel. 
And there's nothing good in, in that news that day. Jesus was the only way to heaven. You rejected him and did not put your faith in him. Therefore, you are 100% responsible for your own sin and you'll be cast in the lake of fire and judged according to your works. This is the second death. Worst news ever. And God forbid that there be somebody there on that day that is sentenced to everlasting punishment that is there because I was too chicken. Because I was ashamed of the gospel. Because I was so self-centered and wrapped up in me. God forbid that there's somebody there on that day that's there because of me. Again, outstanding quote by Charles Spurgeon. If anybody go to hell, let them not go unloved and unwarned. And if somebody's going to go to hell, they're going to have to get past me and the gospel first. You say, I'm glad that we got a pastor like that. That's not a pastoral responsibility. That's a Christian responsibility. Amen. Sometimes we get the idea, I know that I did when I was growing up as a kid, that we've got a pastor that does the, the hard work for us, the ministry work, so that we get to live a regular life. No, 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 no. The day you became a child of God and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you gave the regular life up. You're now a bond slave to Christ, the Bible says. So maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved. Believe the gospel. Believe Jesus. He's the only way. He died for your sins. All you have to do today is put your faith in him and repent of your sin, and it's a done deal. You're born again. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to to join the church. You don't have to be baptized. You don't have to go through a class. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I put my full faith and trust in him alone to save me from my sin today. Done. Born again. And your life from here forward will never be the same. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've been saved. I've been born again. But this whole gospel thing, it hasn't been a priority for me. There's people that I know that don't know Jesus and it doesn't bother me. People that I work with that don't know Jesus and it doesn't bother me. I've never shared my faith before. Man, I'd, I'd been, I was in my early 20s, probably 23, 24 before I ever shared my faith for the first time ever. Probably 24 before I lived the first person I've ever led my entire life to Christ. Okay, that's fine. If you've never done that, start. Start today. I was thankful there were two young men that came last week that sat down with somebody after the service was over, heard the gospel, believed it, and accepted Christ as Savior, and they were born again. Love it. Young lady that came that signed up for a discipleship program, so she accepted Christ as Savior a year and a half ago in California, and now she wants to grow in her faith. Congratulations, we got discipleship. It's going to teach you all about the gospel and how to take your faith and live it out and share it with other people. But what we cannot do is become complacent and comfortable with the gospel. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will get the work done. Somebody else can share with them. Somebody else can do that. I can't. Somebody else can go be a missionary somewhere else. Somebody else can start a a church here in the city. Somebody else can tell my neighbor about Jesus. I just can't. No, no, no. It's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. Just say it. I won't share the gospel with my neighbor. I won't share the gospel with my coworker. I will not surrender my life to Christ for him to use it wherever he wants to. Don't say you can't because you can't. So let's be a church that's serious about this getting the gospel to people who need it the most. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, 
a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.